this was written by I won't even try and say that name. The guitarist Paul Wakatar, Wakatar, Wake there. I don't know how to say vowels in Norwegian, Swedish. Are they Swedish or Norwegian? Norwegian. Fuck me. Travel back in time to the eighties, reliving the shenanigans. It was the early eighties, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old friend Spearsy. And Brad in New York. And today we travel back to 1986 to peruse the hit songs of the year that we've since sadly forgotten. I forgot what I'm supposed to say here. It's written right down, right in front of you. Oh, this this thing right here, the Patreon thing? The Patreon thing, yes. Uh, as I was saying, Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon. For just $2 a month, you get exclusive content and invitations to VIP Zoom happy hours where Steve and Brad count how many beers it takes for our friend Chase to pass out while online from Ecuador. Fact check true. Cruel, but true. Find out more at patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Funny we mentioned Zoom Happy Hour just now. We're actually going to do one in about three hours after we finish recording this show, so it should be fun. But in the meantime, it's time to return to 1986 and the hit songs that, well, maybe we haven't completely forgotten them, but we certainly never hear them played on the radio anymore. And here to help us again, it's our good friend and Cubs fan, Mark Canelli, better known to the masses and longtime listeners as Bass Note. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. Oh, we love having you on this series. You you kind of fill in the blanks of of Brad and I's um, scatterish brained knowledge, especially in the second half of the eighties when we were. Uh, well, where were we? Do we were in college? I was busy chasing girls and trying to <laughs> pass physics classes, which is a deadly combination, which I don't recommend. Yeah, it's a badge of honor that I never had to take a phys- physics class in my life. Really? Well, next yeah. cruise I'll do some tutorials. Oh, we should do physics questions for trivia. (gasps) Math of the 80s. It's it's a category. Why didn't we think of this? I think you're onto something here. (laughs) Everyone will love it. I think they'd kill you. (laughs) (sighs) Wow. That's special. That is special. I am tingling. Goosebumps. It also could be because I'm (laughs) extremely dehydrated. Shocked and horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Your body has suddenly gone into fight or flight mode. Yeah. Well, I mean, this. so Brad's in New York, and you've been there for a little bit longer than you thought you'd be, right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. This project was supposed to wrap up uh, about three weeks ago, and we've got about four more weeks to go. Gah. But the nice thing is, with Brad on the East Coast, you know, he's available to take my late-night drunken phone calls. <laughs> Which have been happening with uh, alarming frequency, I would say. Alarming frequency. I'll clarify that 
it is not always me who is drunk. Um, sometimes both of us. Yes, but... Um, sometimes me. I don't drink because drinking affects your decision-making. You may be right. I can't decide. <laughs> so last night we, 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 we gathered. You were drinking rye. I was drinking whiskey. And we talked about today's show. And we vowed to hang up and immediately go watch all the videos and be ready to go so Base Note won't be disappointed in our effort. <laughs> and what happened? Um, I did watch the videos. I remember I did- watching the videos. Unfortunately, I don't remember any of the content of any of the videos. But I did watch them. And then I, I remembered watching them when I watched them again this morning. Okay. So so we, we've we done our normal, you know, bare minimum amount of homework to get through the, today's show. But, I like um, to think of it as an appropriate level of effort. Yeah. Measured. But once upon a time, we had this series called Forgotten Hits. And, you know, we get in, an, uh, after every show, we'll get a few emails from people who say, you, how could you possibly have forgotten that song? And so it is at this point that I roll through the standard disclaimer that these were songs that were indeed hits and we probably listened to them in the 80s, but you'll never hear them on the radio, which you know only plays the really gigantic hits of the 80s. And in some cases, they just kind of missed or just didn't impact on us. I mean, it was the second half of the 80s. So we'll go through them. We've got nine songs, three each. We'll have a good time. We'll play some music. I'm sure we'll go. There'll be no talk of Slim Jims, even though I have my Slim Jim from the last show sitting right next to me. <laughs> I haven't eaten it yet. I, Thank God. Uh, That's probably why you're still alive. Yeah, just my my Sonic Chili Cheese Coney Slim Jim. You let I me just, know when you're going to eat it, and I'll dial nine and one so I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, it just it seemed like such a good idea at the time, which I guess. That's a fine novelty item. Yeah, or slash murder my, weapon. Yeah. Uh, it just it just doesn't feel right. It's it feels like it has ridges that really shouldn't be there. <laughs> Much like my liver. So, anyway. Mark, how are you? What's going on? <laughs> Good grief! Not a whole lot. You know, just uh, getting ready to go back to work tomorrow after being off for surgery for a while. <laughs> but you're you're feeling good. You're feeling 100. percent Uh, close to 100. percent Yeah, at our age, that's that's you know, 75 yeah. percent or above is. As you know, yeah, pass. It's, it's 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 good percentage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. One of my friends just likes to say, you know, when you're over forty, if you wake up and nothing hurts, you're dead. <laughs> God. Okay. Well, that, wow. Wasn't gonna drink tonight, but now I feel like. Well, no. That means. See, that's the ultimate example of you need your pain. Oh yeah. Well, the only reason that's the, the pain reminds you you're alive. <laughs> the only reason I love that Star Trek movie is for that one Kirk line. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. Okay, enough shenanigans. Let's get started. Uh, Base note, you are today's guest of honor. What is your first forgotten hit of 1986? My first forgotten hit of 1986 is Every Little Kiss by Bruce Hornsby in the Rage. When the day goes down on the water town When the sun sinks I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this song was not a hit in 1986. This was a song was a hit in 1987, in which I would say you're correct. It was a hit in 1987. Cough, cough, cheater, cough. When when it was released the second time. Ah, uh, 
Bruce. This song was actually released as the first single off the The Way It Is album in May of 1986, two months before the release of the album. And it stalled on the charts at number 72. Wow. After The Way It Is hitting number one and Mandolin Rain being a top 10 hit, they re-released this song in 1987 and it Uh. reached number 14 in 1987. Interesting. So it was like the trial balloon that didn't quite make it. And they're like, well, let's give it another shot. This was actually the first song that I heard from the album because I, I did hear it when it was first released because we had a radio station here in Chicago called WLUP that would play it. I heard the song and I'm like, ooh, that sounds cool. I got to get that album. So I actually had the album before the way it is became a hit. Nice. The song is told from the point of view of someone who has traveled a great distance for, for work and is had to leave their family and is miss, missing the one they love. Are you trying to make me cry? Yeah, way to go, Brace Note. Jeez, who invited this guy on the show? (laughs) In a 2011 interview, Hornsby said that he didn't think this song aged very well, so he rarely plays it live. Really? Uh, I would disagree with that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think it's a great song. Uh, There is a special guest harmonica player at the end of the song. Anybody want to take a guess who it might be? Is it Stevie Uh, Wonder? No. Okay. That's (laughs) That's my standard harmonica guess. It's not Billy Joel, is it? Nope. It is Hornsby's friend, Huey Lewis. Oh, oh, wow. That's awesome. Now, he is not credited on the album for this song, but he is credited on another song as playing harmonica and doing background vocals. And he's also credited as a producer of three songs on the album. Well, isn't that, I mean, we talked about that in the last show, didn't we? Because Bruce Hornsby was originally, did, did he originally do Jacob's Ladder and then he didn't like his version so Huey Lewis did it? Was that how he said it? Yeah, and then he rearranged like it that. and did it himself. So, uh, yeah, that was a weird story. So, I yeah. Mean, his, his version is on his second album. Okay, good. I like this song. I do. I, I remember at the time that Hornsby became popular, I, I remember other bands were pitching record companies saying, hey, I'm the next Bruce Hornsby, which <laughs> so I guess that's like a Mm. Cap in your damn your cap. praise. Yeah, I've got no problem with Bruce Hornsby. So much of the sounds of the second half of the '80s, I really don't care for. But Bruce Hornsby isn't one of them. I've always enjoyed his work. I, I wish I had had a chance to see him perform live. Yeah, on the basis of zero research, I'm going to imagine that he's had a very good career as a, as a session guy. Because I know he's Think- played in a lot of touring bands before he oh, was yeah. a solo, or before he started his own going concern, whether it was a band or him as an artist, whatever. So I'm, I bet he's done just fine for himself. No, I think he went into more of the jazz end of things, didn't he? He's kind of done some jazz. He's done some country, some bluegrass. Oh, that's where the money is. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, I don't know what. Baby, those just, Kentucky people I'm buy music. jackass today. I'm sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> He's collaborated with like the Grateful Dead, you know, of course, uh, the big collaboration with Don Henley at the end of the 80s, people like Ricky Skaggs and other people like that. And he, he kind of does his own thing now. He's very much in, into whatever, whatever floats his boat at the moment, you know? Yeah. Well, that's lucky him that he's in a position where he can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we were all like that. He was actually a member before, before he formed the range. He was a member of Sheena Easton's oh, band. Nice. And he can actually be seen in her videos for Strut and the Prince Pen Sugar Walls. Ah, oh, Sugar Walls. Did he get a sticker on his forehead for that? A parental advisory sticker? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, that didn't win too many gospel awards that year. <laughs> At the, I don't know what the awards are called. The Churchies <laughs> the or something. The Dove. Dove Awards is the, <laughs> is the it really? Christian Music Industry Awards, yeah. 
You know that. Wow. Dude, I'm a genius. How long are we going to have to get this through your head? I do want to share a story of seeing him live. He was doing a song off his, his second album called The Old Playground, which is about playing basketball. And he's playing, just, just doing a, like a piano solo. And suddenly somebody throws a basketball to him from the side of the stage. He catches it with his right hand, keeps playing with his left hand, starts dribbling the ball around his leg with his right hand, still playing with the left hand, picks up the ball, throws it back off stage, and then continues playing with both hands. And I was like, I was That's quite the circus stunt. That's pretty great. Yeah. I was like, wow. And the guy is just a phenomenal live musician. He is so good. To continue our journey into 1986, here's my first song from Billy Joel. You got your plan of attack that won't attract the modern woman. When you're an old-fashioned man, she understands the things you're doing. She's a modern woman. That's Modern Woman, and you might remember it probably more for appearing on the soundtrack to Ruthless People mm. than as an actual song from his album the bridge God, i love that movie i love that movie <laughs> and so i love this song this is a great pick steve tell me everything there is to know about this song, there, please i can do it in 30 seconds <laughs> well i like it when it's nice and snappy <laughs> you see it twice in the movie it's when bet midler's working out when she's been kidnapped and she's working out losing weight chained to a bed <laughs> yeah it's a good movie. It really was. I don't know why it doesn't get... Movie is hilarious. Why doesn't it get name-checked among the classic 80s movies? It's so funny. And Judge Reinhold is the, the salesman who decides, like, okay, now I'm going to be a sleazy salesman and close the yeah. deal. Like, you can't afford it? F***ing finance it! Yeah, bro! <laughs> Maybe we should do a whole episode on this. I'm in. I love Bill oh, Pullman God. in that movie. Bill Pullman is the idiot. The, the idiot. Oh, so funny. <laughs> Boyfriend. So funny. There's just so yeah. much to like about it. I'm <laughs> robbing you. <laughs> the guy, we have to be ruthless as he scoops a spider up to let it outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, anyway, back on track. Back to Modern Woman. Modern Woman was very successful. It got to number 10 on the charts in July of 86. But Billy Joel has said he doesn't really care for it, and so it does not appear on most of his compilation records. Uh, he didn't play it live very often. After I think it only maybe appears on two set lists back in like '87. But I read just recently he started adding it to his live sets at Madison Square Garden. Oh, so goof. I don't know what changed his mind. I did find one website they were writing a little piece on the song, and I said, uh, quote, Modern Woman was a top 10 hit, but it's not one of Billy's best. It sounds dated today with its intermittent synthesizers and pseudo-funk beat, and even back in 1986, it sounded awkward. Could not disagree more. Yeah. Come on the show, people, and we will fight you. <laughs> I wondered, you know, I wondered if maybe he didn't like to perform it because he didn't write it, but while you were talking, I checked, and yeah, he did write this song. Like, maybe someone else had written it for the movie. Yeah, it's not particularly deep uh lyrically wise the video is certainly not anything worth remembering it's anytime it's a soundtrack song it's yeah. usually not a video worth remembering well and, yeah it's clips of the movie with yeah. some shots of him at the piano with the right. sunglasses on i'm guessing yeah exactly but there it is modern woman uh brad what's your first pick oh you guys here we go this is fun time party time take a listen to this Taking it again. 
Yep, that's Taken In by Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, love it. Friend Zone song. This is the third <laughs> single from the self-titled debut album from Genesis guitarist Mike Rutherford. His side project, Mike and the Mechanics. Probably figured that part out. And what were the first two singles, guys? Um, all I Need Silent is a Miracle. Running. Yeah, right. And All I Need is a Miracle. Fact yep. check right. true. Fact check true. Yay! So this topped out at thirty number thirty two in the fall of nineteen eighty six, but I I don't think I ever heard this on the radio. To me, this was no. always an album cut. Yes, that I played over and over as I soaked in my friend zone status. Um, I feel like there's more to the story here. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> Mike Rutherford wrote this along with the album's producer Christopher Neal. The vocalist on the song is Paul Young, but not that Paul Young, not the Paul Young you're thinking about. The other Paul Young, that was the lead singer of the English rock band Sad Cafe. Ooh, that should be the name of my side business. That should be. We should open that cafe. Hi, everyone. We make Eeyore omelets. Is that made <laughs> of donkeys or for donkeys? No, by donkeys. <laughs> well, definitely by donkeys. See? Here's what I remember about this song. It, it has the typical Genesis-type video, which is like completely unrelated to the topic of the song. It's true. Oh, let's be let's be funny because this song is so morose. Let's just ignore the fact that we recorded this morose song and give people sort of a uh, English humor video instead. There's one born every minute, and you're looking at him. Uh, yeah, I like to think this song is a sequel to All I Need is a Miracle. Yep. The guy's like, I just need a miracle, and it's going to happen. Oh, the miracle didn't happen. And now, now I was taken in. Uh, but wow. you jumped ahead on me, though. Let's talk about the video. The video, actually, I think is fun. <laughs> Roy Kinnear. Kinnear? 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 plays the tour manager as he did in one of the earlier videos from Mike and the Mechanics. And he's like trying to pretend that he's an answering machine and like not really taking the call. Like, oh, wait, hey, is that you? Realizes that he's double booked the band into a house somewhere, that there's a family staying there, and they come in and start practicing in the middle of the night, and the family comes down from the bedrooms, and strangely there's no like shouting and fighting and what the hell are you doing in my house kind of nonsense. They just are like, oh, concert, cool. Must be music lovers. And then the band ends up hanging out with his family, and that's kind of the whole video. The the other kind of notable role, Richard Belzer, comedian Richard Belzer, plays the father of this family of just endless children. Like these kids just keep coming down the stairs. I'm like, do these people not have a television? What is going on? I think it's a fun video. Steve, you're absolutely right. It has nothing to do with the topic of the song. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to. It's good fun. Great. It's a great video. I'm trying to think of the best video for a sad song. And I'd, I'd have to go with probably the cars with Drive. Ooh. I was going to say Every Breath You Take. That's good. Uh, I like what? the coffee cup that turns into the snare drum. Coffee cup? Did you mean ashtray, you idiot? Yeah, it's definitely I mean, iconic. And you definitely know me, I'm iconic. such a snob. I love the black and white. It just speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're all over the place. So this gonna be a, <laughs> I didn't even need to bring this, Slim Jim. It's going to be a party. So, base note. Dazzle us with your knowledge of the next forgotten hit of 1986. All right. Mine is actually kind of kind of connected to uh, Brad's song. Ooh. It is a song by a band called GTR, When the Heart Rules the Mind. When the heart rules the mind, one look and love is blind. When you want the dream to last, take the chance to get it. 
GTR is a band that was formed by guitarist Steve Hackett and guitarist Steve Howe. Steve Hackett is a former member of Genesis, just like Mike Rutherford is a member of Genesis. And Steve Howe is a former member of Asia and Yes. The song actually reached number 14 in July of 86. But if you look at the charts for 86, Genesis had five related acts in the Hot 100 that year, including themselves. Uh, So there was Genesis, there was Peter Gabriel, Mike and the Mechanics, Phil Collins, and GTR. Nice. Of those five acts, four of them would have top 10 hits, GTR being the one that didn't have a top 10 hit. And two of them would have number one hits that were in the charts for a week only. And that was Peter Gabriel and Genesis. My mind hurts. Brad, is there a physical equation that kind of puts this all together for us? Well, if you come to my Math in the 80s trivia sessions, all will be revealed. Good, okay. Just send a self-stamped envelope with $27 to... Math in the 80s. P.O. Box 276543. I remember reading about Steve Hackett when I was listening to the autobiography of Phil Collins. Yeah. So I'm familiar with his career. I'm familiar, obviously, with Steve Howe, especially his work with Asia, since I was a, a nut for Asia. I was sad to see him leave. They don't sound remotely the same without him. No. Yeah. I'm- Especially now that Wetton's dead and they've got somebody else doing the vocals. No, yeah, I mean, Asia doesn't well, really exist. Well, you've anymore. got two versions of it now, too, which is like, wait a minute, what's going on here, guys? Well, that two versions has been going for a while. Oh, while. for decades. Doing it for a long time, yeah. It's still weird. Yeah, I know. It was weird then, and it's weird now. No, it, just, but it is what it I is. I gotta tell you, this song, I, this is a great song, but I, I'm shocked to see that it made it to 14. It doesn't feel like a number 14 song. Very, it's very like number prog. Number 24. Very prog. Yeah, very unlikely <laughs> yeah. for 86 for something like this to be on the charts. Yeah. The band GTR was, like I said, Hackett and Howe. The rest of the band were relatively unknown. So there was a vocalist named Max Bacon, uh, a guy named Phil Spalding on bass, and uh, Jonathan Mover on drums who had played with the band really. No way these names are real. You know what? Max Bacon is my standing order at the diner. <laughs> I don't want to tell you what Phil Spalding is for me. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Mover, that just describes his day job, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Wow. I'm telling Ouch. you. What does the percussionist say on the first day of his new job? Would you like fries with that? <laughs> Jeez, man, you're on fire. Ouch. So Howard quit Asia because of differences with John Wetton. And Hackett had been struggling with a solo career that wasn't being very well received in the U.S. And his last couple of albums up to that point had not done very well in the U.K. either. It was actually Howe's manager that got the two of them together. Sat down, wrote some songs. Jeff Downs of Asia produced the album and actually wrote the follow-up single, a song called The Hunter, which would only make it to number 85. All the keyboards on the album were played by Hackett and Howe using Roland guitar synthesizer pickups that operated synth racks. Nice. Hackett would wind up leaving the band after the first tour, citing poor management and large financial debt from the recording of the album. But Howe and Hackett do remain friends to this day and have performed a few times on Yes's Cruise to the Edge, which Hackett's band is, has been a constant fixture on. I've never gone on a cruise that is just dedicated to one band. Like I've never been on the Kiss cruise. I certainly haven't been on the Yes cruise. Well, the Yes Cruise isn't, isn't just Yes. Oh, I, mean, I know, I know. But they, of, they got they all, all sorts have. of prog bands on that one. They all have d- other bands, but you know, but the whole idea is it revolves around. But hey, I'm up next. I have this song by Andy Taylor. Take it easy on yourself. Take it easy. There ain't no one else. Don't give me reason. 
Anybody recognize this song? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, don't kid yourselves. You don't remember this song. Take it easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have the American Anthem soundtrack. Ooh, if anyone here actually owns the American Anthem DVD, I will reach through the microphone and strangle you to death. No. Well, keep your hands to yourself. (laughs) So, Andy Taylor, um, who has been a guest on Stuck in the 80s, after he wrote a book about his time with Duran Duran, and who is a very, very nice guy. And it was a really long interview, and he couldn't have been more gracious and kind with his time. Nice. He, in 19... 1986, in the month of August, had this song go up to number 24. It is obviously best remembered as from the movie American Anthem, I can't, which I can't even say without laughing. It's written by Andy Taylor and Steve Jones. Yes, Steve Jones of the Stex Pistols. Nice. During the 80s and 90s, he was performing with Andy Taylor. Huh. So it's a good song. This is what Andy wanted to do more of when he was with Duran Duran. What what I think pissed him off a little bit, or more than a little bit, was they had kind of, you know, were more and more removing the guitar sound from sure from the band. And he, he was kind of maybe one of the more outsider-ish members of the band. So I, you know, do I wish he was still with Duran Duran? Of course. I like bands that are intact. But nonetheless... Uh-huh. We can we'll always thank him for giving us a reason to say the, the words American Anthem together. So you like your bands like you like your milk whole? Oh, nice. Actually, I prefer skim. But who here does remember actually seeing American Anthem? Oh, never saw it. Are you kidding oh, me? Terrible, terrible. 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 Terrible movie. Terrible movie. I, this is like, oh, how quickly can we crank out a gymnastics movie yes. after the 1984 Olympics? Yes. Like two years? It took you two years to get this yes. on the screen? Yes. It, Let me introduce you to Golan and Globus. They didn't turn this thing around in three months. <laughs> So, American Anthem, 1906 sports drama, directed by Albert McNally. Albert McNally is probably best remembered for such iconic silver screen classics as Purple Rain and Tango and Cash. That's a weird pairing. Oh, and uh, Reckless, which, by the way, is a really, really good movie, if we never talk Hmm. about it. But uh, in 1986, he made this horrible misstep. When you go to Wikipedia, which we do from time to time when we're trying to get, you know, confirm a factoid, you know, you know, was it August or September? But anytime you go to Wikipedia and you look up a movie, any decade, there's always a section for the plot. And it usually goes on for <laughs> like pages, pages and pages. And pages. Then he tells her to go <laughs> <laughs> on the Wikipedia page for American Anthem. You get one line. <laughs> football player turned <laughs> football player turned gymnast Steve Tavere seeks to join the United States Olympic gymnastics team. That's it. As one does. Yeah. Mitch uh, Gaylord, Janet Jones sullied their careers with this uh, hot mess of a movie. The soundtrack is amazing. Songs by John Parr, Mr. Mr. In Excess, Stevie Nicks, Graham Nash. Three songs by Andy Taylor. Who can name the other two? Uh, take it less easy and take it hard. No. Bass note? I, I do know them. That uh, Actually, one's an instrumental called Wings of Love. Yeah. And then another song called Angel Eyes. Right. Wow. Which I think was the B-side to the single back when that sort of thing still mattered. What does matter, though, is that American Anthem has a 0% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Well-deserved. Wow. So which is the worst movie starring a former U.S. men's gymnastics 
Oh, it's still Jim. It's Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know. They're they're really both. The only thing that saves American Anthem would be the music. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember there being a significant soundtrack to Jim Cotta. I uh, will point out that Future Wife does own a copy still of American Anthem on VHS. Ooh. Wow. And she has a working VHS player. Oh. Wow. So. Well, you let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> there are worse things you could still own on VHS. That's true. Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta. Okay. Okay, here Brad. we go. Let's get this show on the road, folks. I got something for you here. It's a little something by The Fix called Secret Separation. I love this song. This song is fantastic. It's a great it. song. I haven't heard it on the radio in forever. It never gets... Mainly because I never listen to the radio. But this is the lead single from their fourth album, Walkabout. As was not uncommon for their songs, it only made it to number 83 in the UK, but climbed all the way up to number 19 in the US charts. The lyrics were written by Jeanette Obstage, who was the girlfriend of the band's producer, Rupert Hine. And you're thinking, Rupert Hine, that name's familiar. Take a quick look at his producer credits. It's a humongous list. Basically all the Howard Jones stuff, Thompson Twins, and yeah, he even did a Rush album. He did two Rush albums, actually. Did he? Yeah. yeah. He did Presto, and he did Roll the Bones. He's all over the place. I'm like, wow. You get to see a lot of them if you watch the Rush documentary, Piano Last Stage. They interview him quite a bit, and there's quite a bit there that he talks about the music of the 80s and specifically how he approached Rush at that time. Nice. Obstage actually directed several of the band's videos, including Stand or Fall, One Thing Leads to Another, and Are We Ourselves? Now, one of the things that I did not know until I started doing the research for this was what the song is about. What's it about, Steve? What is this song about, Bass Note? It's about a separation that nobody knows anything about. It's about reincarnation. The okay. singer Cy Kernan told Song Facts in an interview, it's about soulmates re-meeting in another time and continually re-meeting. And when they meet, sometimes they can't function as lovers in this life, which I'd like to ask a follow-up question about that when I see Cy again. But they have been lovers in a past life or maybe a future life. Therefore, the love affair continues through the ages, which is either the most romantic or the most creepy thing I've ever heard. No, it's it's a wow. he has a full understanding of the space-time continuum line. Time is not linear; we just perceive it that way. You have to appreciate that. So that's romantic. Sure, why not? Okay, I mean, I don't know. This is open to interpretation. The Fix are not exactly a love song band, but uh, according to Kernan, this song is being played at wedding receptions, which he finds very strange. Is this on your no-fly list, Steve? No, it's it's available to be played. It's oh. it's not a good dance tempo. I don't think they'll play it. You know, we have a live band and a DJ. It's too fast for slow and too slow for fast, if you know what I yes. mean. Yes, I do know exactly what you mean. It's kind of my lot in life. Okay, good. Well, quickly, the video, it's a trippy one, which I guess fits in with the reincarnation theme. It's kind of future dystopia weirdness. It's The band is in what looks like an abandoned aircraft hangar maybe it's strewn with toilet paper and garbage and there's some guy in a diaper looking thing on a big old hamster wheel and a man in white gloves at a what looks like a 60s era nasa 
control console wearing these teeny little sunglasses, or maybe he doesn't have eyes. I can't really tell. Uh, it's weird. But the song is great. I checked the Setlist website, setlist.fm. If you've never seen this site, by the way, it's, a, it's a great tool. It is. You, it's a real rabbit hole that you spend half a day at. I'm trying to remember. I've seen The Fix twice, and I'm trying to think, do they play this song? And on their last tour, which was 2019, it's the second to the last song they play, right before Red Skies. I mean, it's a big hit for them. Okay. Bass note, you're up again. Last song from 1986 from you. Last song. All right. So my last song is one that I was not even going to include on the list until I watched the season two premiere of Ted Lasso. This song is by a band called Opus. It's called Live is Life. I was watching Ted Lasso. I had, I had sent you guys a big list of songs. I was not going to include this one on it until I watched the Ted Lasso episode and came to the closing credits and they start playing this song. I'm like, oh crap, now I got to put it on there. It must be one of the episodes I haven't gotten to yet. No, it's the it's the opening. The, the opening season two premiere. Season two oh. La, Usually la, I'm st- la, 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 la. I would not have picked this as an 80s song. I didn't recognize it when I heard it. I, again, I don't know that I'd heard it before, but it, it sounds very timeless to me. This song, it's it's bizarre. The band Opus was formed in 1973 in Graz, Austria. The song was recorded on September 2nd, 1984 at a concert in Oberwerk, Austria. In 1985, this song would be number one in Germany, Austria, France, and Sweden. And then in late 85, it would reach number one in Canada. Would not hit the U.S. until 86, and it stalled at number 32 in March of 86, which I don't even remember ever hearing this song on the radio. Being the no. contrarian bastards we are, we're like, it's not going to be number one here. Get that <laughs> crap out of here. I seriously did not remember this song at all. No, me neither. But I kept seeing, I'm going through the charts, and I kept seeing this band, Opus, Live is Life. I'm like, what is Opus? Who the hell is this band? The video is the cheesiest thing on, on the face of the earth. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like a battle of the bands. And Opus comes out and starts doing the song and the audience gets into it. And then the actual members of the band are also playing a punk band that is like standing off stage. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. so cool, man. So cool. The girlfriend's like, I'm going to go out there. You better not. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, no, you're not. (laughs) It's it's really bad. I mean, this song is like ultimate cheese to me. Again, we go back to the Wikipedia. I've been doing a little bit of research before the, the show. This song is kind of famous in soccer circles because of a happening with Diego Maradona, who was considered at the time one of the, well, he was one of the world's greatest soccer players. Apparently, during a warm-up for a match, he was doing, do you know what I mean when I say keepy-uppy, where they're just kind of bouncing the ball up off their feet, not letting the ball hit the ground? Yeah. He was doing it in time to this song, to the point where the other team stopped their warm-up so they could watch him do it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would explain the use in, in Ted Lasso. Yeah, that and there's definitely some, you know, soccer is life from one of the characters yeah. in the show too. So <laughs> I feel so bad. I haven't seen the, like the last four episodes yet. I'm waiting for Future Wife to get here so we can catch up. But. Brief discussion of Ted Lasso. It's definitely season two has turned to a more character driven story than a sports driven story. Yeah, it's a little dark. And 
if you came for the sports, there's been precious little soccer content. And I'm almost okay with that because what they have shown, I'm like, those guys aren't even running. They're walking. Like, come on, at least make it look like they're trying to play soccer. I hear the latest one, or, or I guess it was maybe last week's one, was one, or maybe it was this week, about his father-related and that. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> yeah. That it's a real. It's, uh, uh, it's pretty tantrum. intense. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, intense. It is. I don't know if I'm up for that. You, you can do it. You can do it. You're going to be fine. You're a strong and powerful woman. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. Okay, so that means it's my turn for one last 1986 forgotten hit. And this one I maintain, truly, I don't remember this one at all. See if you do. This is a tune from Marilyn Martin. That's Night Moves, not to be confused with the one by the guy from Detroit. Anyone remember this? Yes. Damn it. No. <laughs> nope. No memory whatsoever. When I first heard it, I thought this is a Pat Benatar song, but it's not. Marilyn Martin, at this point in her career, she had just come off the success of her duet with Phil Collins, Separate Lives, the song that will bring every listener to the podcast. Oh, gosh, are we talking about that damn mouse movie again? No, that's... um. White oh, Nights. Oh, oops. No, the, the damn dance movie. <laughs> I don't know why I went to... What's the, the, what's the other one? What's American the, what's Tale. American Tale. What's the song? That we? I remember we talked about Somewhere that. Somewhere out there. Somewhere out there. Oh, my God. Wow. Great, Brad's, Brad. Brad's, Brad's brain is on too much pastrami. Yeah, no kidding. Those nitrates will kill you. Mm. Life is nothing but slow dying, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Anyway, uh, Marilyn Martin had all the success with Separate Lives. She decides now's the time to put out her debut album, self-titled, and this is the very first song. It's called Night Moves, and it was written by by Marilyn and John Parr and John Astley. She loved it. She, whereas every one of us was probably expecting a nice sort of weepy sequel to Separate Lives, what we get is this aggressive kind of rocker. And in 1906, Martin was doing an interview with Cashbox and said that, quote, I think aggressive is the best word to describe my style. Aggressive music with a rock edge is what I tend to like most. Like, okay, well, interesting. In 2016, John Parr, who co-wrote the song, and who was, he was a guest on our podcast, was it last year? It's hard to remember. But that was, that was talking about Weeper. I'm looking at a photo of it right now on the wall, and it's just going to make me start crying here. Anyway, what he says of this song is, quote, we were working on another track, and during the break, we were just running a few ideas, and out came that song. John Astley came on later as a producer and gave it a far more generic 80s vibe. John's a great producer, but personally, I think it dates the song when you listen to it now. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, fair. Probably. And the only thing I want to say about the video is um, Marilyn Martin's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> like in real life, or she portrays I, I, one in the I video. Know. I, know, I know it's a nod to the hunger. Could go either way. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, uh, John Parr and Marilyn Martin are not. We're not finished. They that same year they teamed up to do a song called uh, "Through the Night" from the movie Quicksilver. Oh, okay. With the other bicycle movie, <laughs> that's awesome. 
Brad, your turn. Final song before we get to the real shenanigans. I'm bringing this plane in, and I'm bringing it in hot with this baby. That's The Sun Always Shines on TV by AHA. Steve, did you know? Mark, did you realize? This was a number one in the UK, even though they're not English. They're Scandinavian crazy people. But it only made it to 20 in the United States. So I think after, what, an extra 350 episodes, we can finally put to bed the discussion, is AHA a one-hit wonder? That's two. That's two hits right yeah, there. Yeah, they're hits. in the top 20. Stand down the AHAfia. Okay, AHAfia? Are you satisfied? Well, they also had uh, Living Daylights. Oh, yeah. Such a good song. But we're not here to talk about that. Let's talk about Sun Always Shines on TV. This song is written by AHA's guitarist. I can't pronounce his last name because I don't know how to pronounce double A's in that tongue. Two sets of them. I know. It's crazy. W-A-A-K-T-A-A-R. It's fun typing that one. He said, The Sun Always Shines on TV was written on one of those down days. Me and Mags, the keyboardist, were in a hotel watching English television on a rainy day, and the guy announcing the program says, it's a rainy day, but as always, the sun always shines on TV. So the song is about the power of television and the way television presents life. Huh. Well, there's some prescience there, I would say. The A&R exec who signed the band to the label, Andrew Wickham, heard the song and decided to listen to his secretary when she said the tune would be a hit. She convinced me to make room for it on the album. And U2 has said that this song heavily influenced the composition of their 2000 single, Beautiful Day, which... Oh, yeah, you can hear that. Yeah. Now that you say that, yeah. Yeah, which I immediately associate with the Olympics that year because NBC just carpet-bombed us with ads with that song on it for the Olympics that year. I believe that's illegal, but that's okay. Well... You know what I always liked about this? I'm going to jump the gun (laughs) because... I don't like to talk about the video all that much. But what I love about this video is that it's the, it looks like it's the sequel to Take On Me. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It starts with the two characters from the Take On Me video. You know, the guy turns back into the comic book character and runs off into middle distance where there's a little, like, blue light pop, like he vanished through a portal into another yeah. space and time. And then, like, a, ty- a credit slate comes up, like, from Warner Brothers. And then the song starts. Uh, in earnest, well, I should say the the actual the video for the sun always shines kind of kicks in when the percussion comes in on the song. So sure, got about a thirty second lead in before the drummer starts it, and then where are you? You end up in some really kind of spooky looking semi abandoned cathedral, like medieval looking building. Well, it's a church, it's clearly a church building, but it is not populated by people who are here to watch the concert. No, it's populated by faceless mannequins. Creepy. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Apparently, the MTV people really like faceless mannequins because this won two trophies at the 1986 MTV Video Music Awards. Best editing in a video and best cinematography in a video. I'm not surprised. I mean, remember the very first MTV Video Awards, Herbie Hancock came away with the most trophies for Rocket. Yeah. 
Well, MTV loves its mannequins. Yeah, you're not wrong. While we're talking about AHA, they also won four for that other video, the Take On Me thing. So that was six that year. That's impressive. It's a pretty good haul. It is a pretty good haul. You know what else would be a pretty good haul right about now? <laughs> the the Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Hey, Steve. Was that the sound for Mystery Movie Moment? Yeah, yeah, it was. Clearly, there, I've had too much green tea today. Um, this is an ongoing plot point in podcast production history. Anyway, we'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you get it right this week, you will have a chance to win a free copy of uh, Tamara Deaver's trivia book, Ultimate Mixtape Music Quiz Book, Test Your Rad Knowledge of 70s, 70s and 80s Tunage. Sweet. So I've got about five copies to give away. So you're definitely going to want to play. Tamara, you might remember, was our guest a few episodes ago for our Road Trip Playlist episode of the podcast. She's written a couple amazing books. And so we're very happy to be able to give some away. And we're going to also have about a dozen or so more copies to give away as trivia prizes on the 2022 voyage of the 80s cruise. Yeah, so come on down to Math Trivia. (laughs) Math and the 80s Trivia, and we'll give you a book. Wow, this is sounding more and more fun every minute. <laughs> All kidding aside, it actually is. This is a great book. I, I kind of stopped looking at it because I didn't want to be stealing her hard-fought intellectual property questions for our own yes. purposes. So yes, it's fun. There's well, a lot of good stuff in yeah. there. I, I will say, in high school, I did actually fail one course, and it was math. It was my senior year, and I failed calculus. Mm. Oh, well. I mean, I gave up halfway through. I mean, I gave up like maybe three weeks into it. But And it wasn't like college where you could drop it. It wasn't like required for graduation. Like I'd already completed my yeah. necessary you know, courses, but I was just trying to get ahead on college. And I, I didn't have the best teacher. Math has never been something that's come easy to me. And I failed it. So yeah. when you talk about math trivia on the cruise, I want you to know <laughs> I'm, I'm not down for this. <laughs> <laughs> but if I learn something as if I would actually try that math bad I literally use the calculator on my computer for even the most elementary math problems so anyway cast your mind back to episode 612 here was the mystery clip hey baby doll what's for dinner <laughs> That's overboard. Kind of the voice of Goldie Hawn there. Mm. <laughs> Love this movie. I know you do. That's why I put it in there. Thanks. Uh, we had some. We had some winners. So why don't you uh, begin the process of reciting them? It's a hell of a day at sea, sir. <laughs> Here we go. Winners this week include Joseph Perdue, Gene and Hollister, Gordon Palm Shumway and Holman, Dave Augie August, Brian Davis, Kevin M and Valrico, Brock in North Dakota, Aaron the Boy Shirley. Paul Dansman, Brian in Columbus, Jumpin' Joe in Michigan, Todd in Minnesota, Allison Stefanski, Hutton Hippo, and Wendy Maloney. I think Brian in Columbus emailed earlier this week with another correct answer, and I said, and I was, I was feeling kind of weird, and so I was like, "No swag for Columbus," and, and he hasn't written me back. I, I don't think he. I hope he knows I was kidding, sort of. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, we're not going to spin the wheel just yet because we have one more seggy, but uh, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. It's not just the gun, Frank. It's everything. If you know it, email us at podcast at sits.com 
And uh, we'll let you know soon if you're one of the winners of the Tamara Deaver book. Ah, the mystical tune that is named that 80s tune. Ah, the mystical, ah, the mystery, the mysteries of life. The mysteries of why Steve can't read this notes in front of him. Brad, help me. Were those the tuneful stylings of the Name That 80s Tune segment intro? Thank you. <laughs> uh, we will play a snippet of a song from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the aforementioned drawing. This uh, will be for the Tamara Deaver book. Um, but back in 612, you were just playing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. It's all to play for. It's a game of two halves. Uh, we're we're going to have some more books to give away soon, too. We have books to give away for... Uh, Andy Zaleski from the Rolling Stone interview last week, so that'll be fun. We're, we've, we're getting more and more books to give away. Ooh, going to have a book to give away soon, um, illustrated version of The Goonies. Ooh, <clears throat> that's going to be cool. Hoping to get the author on the show. Anyway, <clears throat> once I can start to focus again, <laughs> this is where it always falls apart for, for me on these shows. From episode 612, here's that, that clip that we find so mysterious. That's Master of Puppets by Metallica. Let me take this chance to answer the question that so many of you have thought to send my way via email. No, this does not mean we're doing a show on Metallica anytime soon. The end. Thank you for your continued patronage. We printed out your email and have burned it. The ashes will be kept in an urn on Steve's desk. Yes. Along with the the, uh, show ideas that we've similarly preserved. The reason I think I picked this... I came across, I, I was looking at live concert footage on YouTube instead of doing actual work. And there's this amazing footage of Metallica performing somewhere in England in a driving rainstorm. And when they play Master of Puppets, I mean, literally, the as, as he's beating the drums, water is just like flying up into the air. Nice. It's just this epic performance in the rain. It's like, if you, if you ever have trouble getting motivated... How'd they manage not to get electrocuted? That thought's crossed my mind, but I dismissed it. It's just one of those things that it's perfect for a Monday morning if you're trying to get motivated. Probably so. wireless transmitters. Oh, and also, I just started watching Billions on Amazon Prime, that Showtime series. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where Metallica's... The cast flies up to see their only North American show. And so... When they're playing on stage for like you know that ten second snippet, it's Master of Puppets. So Paul Giamatti's in that, isn't he? He is. I'm, I'm really addicted to it. He's he's so good. I, yes. In the John Adams series, oh my gosh, he's so good in that. Yes. Yeah, I've seen that like five or six times now. It's so much easier than reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, based now? I said Metallica just did a surprise show here in Chicago at uh, uh, the Cabaret Metro. Yeah. Yeah. Because now they're showing up in all my Google searches because I, you know, anyway. So I'm, I'm starting to learn to appreciate them, but it's it's quite a distance from Steve learning to appreciate something to Brad and Steve actually doing a show about Wanting it. Wanting to so talk we'll about see. something for 20 to 30 minutes. Hey, nobody wants to hear us talk about Metallica. So um, any Metallica fan out there knows 10 times more than yeah, we Yeah, I think my kids probably know more about Metallica than I do. Yes. So... 
But only Brad knows the names of this week's winners. Oh, shall I tell you? There's a lot of weird names in here. Would you like me to tell you these winners? Yes, yes please. Yes, please. Here we go. Winners this week include Joseph Perdue, Dan in Omaha, Gene and Hollister, Chris No Joy in Huntsville, Alabama, Kelly E in Huntsville, Alabama. Wait a minute. Dave Augie August, Brian Davis, Jay, call me Sir Dammit Sabliski. Not just another Michael Hayes, Dan in McDonough, Tor Damage Inc. Hansen in Ronard Park, Mark Ram, John in La Center, Kentucky, Lou Sweet Lou Greeley, Dave De La Mudhole. Mike Wally Walters, Tom Korn in Austria, Commodore 64 Will, Kirk from Friendswood, Brian in Columbus, Garrett in Houston, Jumping Joe in Michigan, and Plain Pulling Tom. Now, before you ask, is Dave De La Mudhole the same as Dave De La Dirt? Yes, it yes. is. We have a letter from him that we will read in a future episode, but we wanted to spend our time coin a little differently this day. So we'll get to that next time. It's a great story. You'll love it. Excellente. Um, I guess it's time to spin the wheel and find out who wins the uh, postal-friendly bottle opener. Base note, are you recovered enough to spin the wheel? I think I can do that. Okay, here we go. You ready? Uh, there you go. Ooh, short, compact flame. Excellent. We are going to see that it's landing on Brian Davis. Excellent. Email us with your postal address, and we'll get a postal-friendly bottle opener to you. Uh, it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's Yeah. I mean, when I when I get home, I will send them out. But, uh, yeah, that Just might be another month. Continue to open your beverages. Whatever means you have available to you now. Yes. In the meantime, pay attention. Again, this will be for one of the books from Tamara Deaver. Here's this week's uh, mystery clip. I met someone at the dog show. If you know it, email us at podcast at sits.com. And, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> we'll be right back after this commercial break. The amazing Isuzu iMark, rated one of the best of the best by Car and Driver magazine. It gets 94 miles per gallon city, 112 highway. Its top speed is 300 miles per hour. And Isuzu dealers have millions in stock. So they're selling them for $9. And if you come in tomorrow, you'll get a free house. You have my word on it. The Isuzu iMark. Now at your Southern California Isuzu dealer. And we're back. We have a few minutes left. I thought, let's play a game we like to call, What's Your 80s Obsession? Mark, what's your 80s obsession? Oh, good. My 80s obsession is a little movie that I saw on HBO many times. And just fell in love with it. It's a little animated flick from 1983 called Twice Upon a Time. Anybody remember this movie? I don't think I do. Uh, no recollection whatsoever. It was not a big budget movie and it was only produced by this little producer by the name of George Lucas. Aw. Now I feel like a dick. Poor little Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was uh, directed by a guy named John Cordy, who is now a, uh, he does documentaries. And he's actually won a few Academy Awards, I believe, for his documentaries. The story is very bizarre. It's the story of the nightmare makers and the dream makers who deliver their dreams and nightmares to the rushers of Din, which is presented in black and white. The cartoon was done in, in a uh, process called Lumage, which is a stop motion where they cut out plastic pieces and rearrange them on a light tables to get the movement. That's different. Huh. 
Brad, what's your uh, 80s obsession? My 80s obsession actually has been watching old videos. Just prepping for this week's show, I really enjoyed watching the ones I had to watch. And so then I just started letting YouTube find me another one. And it's just fun to see where it led. I've been watching a lot of the videos that are starting to leak out from the Genesis reunion tour. Oh, yeah? And it's not, it's not a little rough. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. One tour too many, maybe, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand. I just, I just yeah. can't reconcile with the Phil Collins sitting down the whole time thing. Part of me just kind of says, "Did you really have to go out one more time?" I mean, was there financial well, need you know, there? He needs to pay the alarm company so that he can change the codes on his house in Florida so that his ex-wife doesn't move in with her new husband, yes. lover, or whatever. Poor again. guy. Oh <laughs> He's gosh. had. So can, much can, drama. So much drama. That's sort of been my obsession is every time I see one of those pop up, I, it's like, you know you shouldn't watch it but because you're just not going to feel good afterwards, but you do it anyway. Yeah. And poor guys. I mean, hey, Genesis, look at it this way. I mean, this week's show was 1986, and you owned 1986. Boy, but uh, it is 2021 now, and I don't blame you for wanting to take a seat. <laughs> uh, Did you see the documentary that they put out on – the first, like the first rehearsals that they did. No, it's on YouTube and on the Genesis uh, Facebook page, and I made a comment on it saying the band sounds great, but Phil's voice was a little rough. A lot of people got mad at me yeah. for saying that. I'm just pointing out the obvious here. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard with some of these to to say anything without getting attacked. Yeah, social media is just like a garbage can you yell into uh, with little or no consequence or effect, but. Um, I do wish them the best. If you if you bought tickets for the shows in the U.S., you know by all means email us and let and let us know how they go. I prefer to think of them in 1986. I prefer to think of all of my music from 1986, even the songs we forgot. If you disagree with any of our picks, uh, let us know. But in the meantime, Brad, Bassdoot, and myself will remain right back there, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Stuck in the 80s.